It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you and that's not a bad weather forecast at all for us and all the indications are that the really wet weather that we've been having of uh, late, we've seen the majority of it now and the weather should start to improve and certainly we're looking at a really nice weekend weather-wise and into the early stages of next week and I imagine out of that, if it's a nice weekend because people are so sick of the rain, I'm assuming that a lot of people will try their best to head to one of our beautiful beaches and if you are going to one of our beautiful beaches and you do decide to go in for a dip you can rest assured that you're going into good water quality because it was terrific news yesterday for us here in uh, Cork when we received a record amount of blue flags. Uh, There was 93 sites in total around the country received a blue flag but here in Cork 10 beaches two marinas and that's a record year for us when it comes to blue flag status. The two uh, Cork beaches are among four new sites to obtain a flag uh, this uh, year and the Inchidani East has been awarded a blue flag. That's for the first time ever. While the Warren in Roscarbury, delighted for the Warren in Roscarbury, they regained their blue flag status. Uh, the last time they had a blue flag status was da- back in 2013. But the fact that Inchidani East was awarded a blue flag yesterday means now that both of the beaches in Inchidani, for the first time ever, both have blue flags. Other beaches, Garrettstown, Barley Cove, Red Barren, Onahincha, Tregumna, Gary Lucas and Yall are other sites with the flags and the two marinas in Cork to receive a blue flag, the Kinsale Yacht Club and the Royal Yacht Club uh, also uh, picked it up. And the blue flag, it's an eco label. It started first in France and what it does is it recognises an adherence to uh, specific criteria related to water quality, it also looks at information provision, environmental education, but it also looks at site safety and site management. And the flag in Ireland was first awarded in 1998. And at the time in 1998, 19 beaches and two marinas were chosen. And when you look at the numbers who have received flags this year, uh, that's an incredible achievement since uh, 1998. So well done. And it's you always, I think you're always a bit more confident heading 
to a beach when you know that it has the blue flag uh, status. So there'll be a lot in the, particularly people who live in the local communities and people who do a lot to try to maintain their beaches. It certainly was very welcomed news uh, yesterday. Now, John Paul, taking your calls at 1850 333 103. The phones have already been busy this morning, so please have patience if you're trying to get through. But you can always text and WhatsApp the programme as well to 0862 103 103. We always love to hear from you. And when we have been talking over the last, I suppose really since last year it would have started when we're talking about people wanting and needing to travel, people wanting to go on holidays. I think the biggest bunch of um, bulk of calls we've had in are from people who want to just not go very far, people who want to go to Britain. People, English people who are living here and haven't maybe seen loved ones and then I think all of us, uh, many of us have family who are living in England who we haven't again seen, some people haven't seen them since 2019 because of the way COVID-19 went and travel restrictions and all of that. So when it comes to opening up for travel and with more and more people getting vaccinated people are feeling now more confident about getting on a plane and travelling. So many people are saying when are they going to open up the travel corridor between Ireland and England and even though there are flights going, but when can you do it safely, knowing, for example, that you're not going to have to self-isolate or possibly go into quarantine? And when can we have free travel, for, particularly, I think, for people who have been fully vaccinated? And there has been a lot of hopes that some announcement, well, we know that announcement's going to be made on Friday about travel, but a lot of people were saying, will that include Britain? Well, reading the papers today, there are now fresh doubts over whether British tourists will be able to avoid strict quarantine measures if they decide to travel from Britain and they decide to come to Ireland during the summer months and obviously this is all down to the fears around the spread of the Indian variant of COVID-19. The government here will be deciding this week on how a new vaccine passport system will clear the way for travel firstly between Ireland and the other EU countries in the coming weeks but of course the United Kingdom now no longer one of the EU countries and also they have this additional problem of the spread of the Indian uh, variant. There are now concerns about lifting travel restrictions for passengers, both us going to Britain and for people coming from Britain over to this uh, country. Now, you will remember that the Thonista Lear Varadkar, he came out last week and he was, he's been speaking for the last few weeks about it, saying he's really making the case for the common travel area between Ireland and England to return to normal during the uh, summer months. But there was one of the British newspapers, the Daily Telegraph, they had a report this week that said that the Irish government will be announcing the end of quarantine rules for travellers from Britain. And the, according to the Daily Telegraph, they said it was going to happen this week and that then would allow for restriction free travel between the two countries and actually the newspaper report on the day actually quoted our own Tourism Ireland Chief Executive Noel Gibbons who said he was very excited about the news so you're thinking oh it's all looking like it's it's going to go well but then government sources who are involved in the drafting of the new rules around international travel plans they are very much playing down the possibility of restrictions being eased for British travellers this week. One source within the government said the focus was on introducing the digital green certificate but that will be for travel between Ireland and other EU member states. The source said 
that there would be announcement on the, it didn't think there was going to be an announcement on opening up the common travel area. The focus will be on EU countries instead. And another source within the government said that the Indian variant of coronavirus, which has now spread rapidly in Britain, means quarantine rules will have to remain in place for some time didn't give any definition on what some time means. And if you look across Europe and how other European countries are handling cases, the fear of cases coming out of Britain and going into their countries, Germany, they've introduced travel restrictions on passengers arriving from Britain. They did it uh, this week. Only German residents and German citizens are permitted to fly into the country from Britain and even they must quarantine for two weeks when they arrive. And Austria, they also introduced a similar ban on passengers from Britain and that comes into effect from the 1st of June. So cabinet ministers this week are awaiting recommendations on international travel particularly from our Chief Medical Officer Tony Houlihan and that will be on behalf of Neffet. And remember, Tony Houlihan only last week described the Indian variant as a dark cloud on the horizon. Yesterday, sources uh, across government said they didn't expect Tony Houlihan to give the green light for the easing of travel restrictions on people arriving in Ireland from Britain. There has been more than 5,000 cases of the Indian variant, which is known as the B1, the B1617.2. So 50 cases in England, and that's just been over recent weeks. I mean, the British government themselves are already asking people not to travel into areas of England where they know there's high levels of the cases. There seems to be clusters of the cases. And this Indian, the reason everybody's worried about this Indian variant is it is even more transmissible than the Kent strain. And we thought the Kent strain was possibly the most, uh, well, it had been the one that was most contagious, but the Indian variant now has uh, has taken over. The Irish government is finalising plans for the introduction of this vaccination passport. But as I'm saying, it looks like it's going to be only for EU countries and under the new scheme for foreign travellers passengers arriving in Ireland will have to be fully vaccinated with the European Medical Agency approved vaccine and by doing that then they'll avoid mandatory hotel quarantine it's not expected the passengers will have to produce a negative COVID-19 test once they've been fully vaccinated and once they have this digital green search they won't then need to go off and get a PCR test at the same time people who are not vaccinated but who have been infected with COVID-19 and have had COVID-19 in the previous six months, they will also be able to travel freely under this digital green cert scheme. And the European Centre for Disease Control, their daily figures, they'll be used to determine if Ireland permits restriction-free travel from any other countries. It'll depend on if there's an outbreak or the Indian variant maybe raises its ugly head in another country, then that country gets added to the list that they're not allowed in unless they go into one of the hotel uh, quarantines. The new travel rules obviously is going to be a huge boost for the Irish tourism and aviation industry and also for there are a lot of Irish holidaymakers who want to travel overseas as well and, and certainly I think when these new travel rules get, a, get announced for the aviation industry we were only talking yesterday about how we'd seen on the news the night before all of the pilots outside uh, Dáil Éireann because their industry has been absolutely devastated. And then looking at the Indian variant which is now the most fasting spreading variant in the UK it has already been detected 
in this country, but it's been in small numbers so far. The last figure that I could get my hands on was up to Friday of last week. There have been 72 cases of the Indian variant detected in this uh, country. The the cases were brought in by people travelling from abroad, including people travelling from uh, the UK, but it also has spread within the country to close contacts and there's been a small number of clusters that couldn't be linked to a travels source. So there's a small number of the Indian variant in this country. Now the HSE rollout of the COVID-19 vaccines, that's obviously gathering uh, pace but but we're still not there yet but that's going to protect uh, people. 2.5 million doses of the vaccine have been administered up to yesterday. That means 45% of the vaccine have received one dose and we are now at 15% of the adults in this country are fully vaccinated but that still does mean that we have half the country who are still waiting to even get their first dose but they're doing extremely well when it comes to vaccinating. Currently, the over 45s, they're being offered a vaccine and it's expected to move on to the 40 to 44 year olds. They're going to be invited to register for a jab. It's either going to be later this week or it'll kick off early next week. But anybody in the 40 to 44 age group keep a very keen eye and ear to the media because registration is due to open soon. And then when you look at the vaccine effectiveness, there's a recent study from Public Health England. This is the very latest on vaccine effectiveness, particularly when it comes to the Indian uh, strain. And this is the one I'm sure that NEFET will make its deliberations, will look at and will become very important to NEFET. It found that two doses of Pfizer and two doses of AstraZeneca vaccine are effective against the Indian variant. For Pfizer, 88% effective. For AstraZeneca, it's 60%. But for for people with AstraZeneca, oh, is it only 60%? 60% for a vaccine, by the way, is very high. They say most vaccines, if you can get 50% effectiveness, you're doing well. So 60% is high. But for anyone who got the AstraZeneca who feels, oh, I would have preferred to have the Pfizer and be 88%, the AstraZeneca figure actually increases over time because of the type of vaccine it is. Immunity bills even well after the second dose. And it's the same with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, vaccine the Janssen one. Uh, people who get that, it's the one jab and after two weeks they are deemed fully vac- vaccinated. But that type of vaccine the model that they use. They're described as the vaccine that keeps on giving because even after two weeks you're fully vaccinated but two weeks later it's even more effective. Another two weeks it's even more effective whereas the Pfizer and Moderna work differently. You need to get the second shot then you need to wait I think it's 10 to 14 days to be fully effective and then it stops. That's as as effective as it gets but the AstraZeneca and the Janssen & Janssen the immunity keeps uh, building so they are really really good uh, vaccines and Uh, for people with just one jab of either Pfizer or AstraZeneca for both the protection falls to 33%. So that's the real worry when it comes to the Indian variant and that's the particular worry that's going on in the UK as well because while they have millions upon millions of people vaccinated the majority of them only have the one dose. They need people to get the second dose and that's possibly why the Indian variant is spreading so much in the UK even though their vaccines are going well they don't have enough people with the second uh, dose. And the Indian variant now is in 48 
28 countries. It's on every continent except Antarctica and significant numbers are now being found in Southeast Asia. Asia, unfortunately in Australia, it's rearing its ugly head, a country that has had little or no COVID and obviously we know it is building on a daily basis across the uh, UK. But uh, if you were hoping that to go to the UK in the coming weeks or to have loved ones visiting, looking at that, I don't think that's the announcement that's going to be made by Micheál Martin on Friday. By the way, no doubt we'll have more on this in our news bulletins as we uh, proceed through the morning planning permission for apartments at Besber at the former mother and baby home have been refused and uh, I think that will come as uh, great news to a number of people particularly uh, people who believe the remains of babies are in uh, part of that uh, particular development and the thought of apartments going up on top of what could be the graves of little babies just wasn't sitting well with so many people anyway the uh, planning permission has been refused. Now can anybody shed some light on this? Kay one of our listeners contacted us and said just a query Patricia I rang my mum's landline the last few days from my mobile and it rings as if you're ringing an international number. You know when you ring somebody on a mobile and you know they're out of the country because the tone, the the dialing tone is different and normally it's an indicator. We haven't heard it in quite some time but I know previously you'd ring somebody and you realise they're on holidays and you'd hang up immediately and send a text saying sorry, just heard the tone, realised you're on holidays. Anyway, Kay is ringing but it's a landline. She's ringing from a mobile to a landline and it comes up like this international tone and then she says the next time she would call her mom, it would ring as normal. She just says with all the scams going on at the moment, she's scratching her head a little bit cannot understand it. She knows that the phone exchange in her village has been upgraded recently. That's the only thing different that has happened. But she's wondering if I could put it out to see, have any other listeners... Has anybody else noticed it? Or is there anybody in the telecommunications know-how who would be able to tell us and shed some light uh, on it and as to what, what is going on? So ringing from a mobile to a landline and it rings as if it's an international tone and then when you ring again, it rings normally so it isn't happening all the time. Could it have anything to do with the upgrade? I can't see how it would have anything to do with the upgrade of the exchange, but maybe it was. Kay says that was the only thing that differently that has happened in the village in North Cork where her mum lives. Anyway, if anybody has spotted that or anybody knows what's going on, let us know. 1850-333-103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork County Council is not getting its fair share of government funding is to be given to the Taoiseach and other Cork-based ministers to highlight the need for government funding to be distributed more equally around the country. West Cork Independent Dáil Deputy Michael Collins uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. I take it this report came as no surprise to you, are indeed to the members of Cork County Council. It's been obvious for years, hasn't it, that our, our county is simply underfunded. It is um, and as, as you said it came as no surprise to me. It, it only vindicates the position I've held since I got elected to the Dáil and maybe to the council in 2014 to the Dáil in 2016 that Cork, County Cork has been underfunded in so many projects down through the years um, and it just vindicates the position and it's, it's been shockingly frustrating in, in fairness to the, to the, to the councillors in, in West Cork who have to and, and, and us TDs who have to face the people year in, year out, and they ask us the same questions. What is, why isn't there funding for a road? Why the road is in a shocking condition? Why haven't we got uh, funding on the DLIS scheme? Uh, proper funding. And, and, and I mean that 
to, to rural houses. There's hundreds of applications in County Cork. The most they get is funding for one or two, um, and you know, every year, where other counties are getting 10 or 12 done. And, uh, you know, th- th- this report is, is very, that was carried out by the All Ireland Research Observatory at Minute University. And, and, uh, we, and we need to point out it's an independent report. It's an independent okay. r- report, uh, in fairness. And it, it states quite clearly that we are now, County Cork Road are 52 years behind in, in, in bringing them up to the standard uh, in, to other counties in this country. And we need 750 million to bring them up to that standard. And we're way off that figure. I raised that with the Minister for Transport, um, basically the Minister, Mayim and Ryan, yesterday, and he said if this report is true, he needs to read it, he needs to try and work on it, but he certainly does need to uh, he needs to know about this, but our senior ministers here should should know this anyhow. Um, I, I, I think just to, to give that that particular statistic uh, again, if we continue with the current funding that we're getting at the moment, fifty two years to properly strengthen our roads, fifty two years. Fifty two years. It's, it's amazing. just it's an incredible statement. If you if you go down into Bandon, go to Dunmanway, Bantry, I can name you know different towns in West Cox, Green. There's people of the town, the people of the countryside. They're meeting. They're frustrated. They're angry, and they're rightly rightly so. And they, they you know they appreciate we're trying our best, but but in, unfortunately the state has de- decided that uh, senior ministries and senior departments have to be called out here. And I'm looking because I will be um, uh, bringing this up at leaders' questions tomorrow. And I'm seeking. I'm looking for heads on, the, uh, on this because this is affecting uh, uh, issues because uh, departments have overlooked County Cork for some reason. So someone along the line has been continuously pulling the files uh, when it comes to County Cork. You look at leader funding. We're the fourth lowest uh, county to get leader funding. You look at the CLAR funding per capita. Despite having the highest CLAR population, we have the lowest funding. Um, you look at the rural regeneration funds. Uh, Patricia, two, uh, three projects I could pull out. There were, one of them was, was called Harbour uh, Project that we spent years uh, putting together uh, the group down there in Skull and spent thousands and thousands of money, got a shovel ready, would have created a hundred jobs in a rural peninsula, and it, 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 it ticked every box, and it never got funding where projects above in Mayo and projects in Clare were getting only aspirational projects that weren't really going to get off the ground at all. Only uh, This had, uh, was a shovel ready project, and, and refused funding. You look at Dorsey Island Cable Car, got refused uh, rural regeneration funds this year, the Bandon Realm, uh, to do up the tone and to bring it, you know, after years of a of, of lot of work going on there that the business is needed, that got refused from the tone and village renewals funding is, is, is at its The list, the list goes on and, and on. And I when you mentioned the Rural Regeneration and Development Fund, if you just do a comparison with one other uh, county, us here in Cork, we received only 20% of the funding which Clare received. So, you know, so why, why, why would a county like Clare get, you know, 80% more funding than us here in Cork? Do you believe successive governments have failed to give oh, us a, a fair cut? Co- I mean, we're not looking for more. We just want, a, you know, a fair cut of the financial equal. pie. Nothing more than equal distribution of, of the funding that's there. Nothing more than that. No, nobody wants to get more. Uh, but we certainly can't be getting this, and we've continues, continuous government have given us this. But no, I want this report to go further than, further than it is. I want, as I said, uh, departments and ministers to come clear as to why this was uh, allowed to happen and continue to happen. Why was, um, uh, whether it was Minister Ring or Minister whoever is in charge of the Rural Regeneration Funds at the time, Minister for Rural Affairs, why was uh, constituencies like Mayo and Clare 
overlooked um, and when they're shovel-ready projects in, their own, in, 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 in the county cock and they were being refused. We need answers. And I'm starting, as I said, in the dog yesterday with Minister Eamon Ryan. Tomorrow, I probably have the Tarnish reports. And I want them to give me a fair and straight answer. They'll all get a copy, because I'll give them a copy if Cork County Councillor will be giving it to many. And I'd be asking them straight-up questions. I, there was a councillor in, in West Cork that they said the TDs get off it, but we can't do it. It has to come from the government and the same councillors of Finnegan County. He should be pushing his party to deliver uh, for this for our county, our county of Cork. And we've been terribly, terribly unfairly treated. And more more than anything else is our roads, Patricia. Mm-hmm. Our roads are in a scandalous condition. Uh, some of the towns, to be quite honest, which are, it's, it's a disgraceful state that takes motor tax money from, 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 from people of County Cork when they leave the roads in the condition. And I mean, you know, we've got bad roads all over the county, but I mean, your own constituency of uh, West Cork, I mean, it's particularly bad. Yes, um, I, I've been seeking since 2016 funding for to finish the, the southern bypass in Bendon, to start the northern bypass at Bendon. There's a bypass needed in, in, in Bantry. There's a bypass, uh, a proposed bypass in Inishana to open up West Cork. And every other county has to get their funding equal you know, whatever funding is that's required to progress their county. And I wouldn't begrudge them that if we got the same. Mm. Well, there is absolutely, we, we're, what we're getting is funding for potholes, continuous pothole repair. And you can see little bits of patches here and patches there. Instead of a, a proper um, road structure uh, being built in, in, in rural land, and don't talk about our side roads and our by roads. I'm, I'm only sticking to the main road, never mind to the, the amount of people that come to my constituency officer, contact us every week in relation to their roads, the shocking conditions of their roads, but the council have only so much money. And they're trying to spread that. And it's, it's not roads. fair on the people that have to drive on those roads day in, day out. And in, in West Cork alone accounts for the fifth longest road network of any local authority. So you would take from that that they should be getting the most amount of funding that's available out of that road improvement part, the fact that they have the fifth longest network and it's just not happening. It's just not. But nobody wants this report to sit on a shelf and gather dust and say, oh, should we spoke about that a number of years ago? It's there now in black and white, isn't it, Michael? It is. And, and our Taoiseach and ministers will be given in, in Cork. But I, I also will make sure that the Minister Ryan, uh, who was kind of surprised or shocked yesterday when I raised it and wanted to see this report, I want to see that that minister will get the report before him and I want to see a delivery from each and every minister. But I also want to go back. I'm, I'm, I'm very angered about uh, funding down through the years that escaped uh, County Cork because of what reason? We don't know. There's rumours. Rumours has it that certain politicians were struggling in certain constituencies and the money was put, put in, sent, uh, that was meant to come to West Cork ended up in that constituency. That's an appalling way. If that is the case, it has to be the case. I'm sorry, Patricia. Someone needs to come out there and tell me what was the case and why didn't... Yeah, it'll be very interesting for somebody to explain why, even in, on all of the other different schemes, why Cork has always been so low so low when it comes to funding. Mike says, uh, Michael, we live down a public cul-de-sac. I phoned the Kinsale County Council office a number of times in the last few months. Nobody has called back. Uh, we need to get potholes uh, filled in. Even though I did see a report from Shauna Reardon in today's Irish Examiner that nearly a billion is to be spent on major housing and infrastructure projects between now and 2023 in here in County Cork. Some of the money is being delivered due to uh, a deal that the County Council made to borrow money directly from the EU. So it looks like the Council themselves are trying to be proactive. The Council, they, they, they certainly are trying. Um, you know their hands, the, the, the report that came out on Monday shows that their hands are completely tied uh, behind their back. Uh, not 
tighten in front of them, behind their back, in the most difficult way to distribute the small amount of funds they're getting. And I can see it on the roads, I can see it, you know, when you see small patches here and small patches there, tired, and, and, and people suffering and going to potholes day and night and paying massive amount of motor tax. We're paying uh, the car, we're the highest pairs of the carbon tax. We're being hit. There's no problem. But what, what I see is our money um, is, 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 is building and putting infrastructure in place in other counties. The, the, the people of Cork County are paying for to put uh, infrastructure in places in other counties and we're not getting a delivery here ourselves okay. in County Cork. Okay, all right. And there's a text in from uh, Heidi saying, Patricia, well done to Deputy Michael Collins uh, once again speaking up for us here in Cork and West Cork about time we got the right funding. Heidi says, uh, we want a fair deal like the rest of the country. We're not looking for any more. We're just looking for a fair deal at the end of the day, Cork. Cork is the biggest uh, county. Uh, listen, Michael, thank you for that and thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Patricia. Good morning to you. That is West Cork Doll Deputy Michael Collins. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. A protest described as a show and tell event is taking place uh, as we speak in Cork this morning by fishermen who are concerned about the plight of their industry. A flotilla of fishing boats left Roaches Point at seven o'clock this morning morning to make the way to Horgan's Quay in the city. Once again I speak with Patrick Murphy of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. Good morning to you Patrick. Good morning Patricia uh, pleasure as always to oh, speak to you. Well, and listen likewise, you've arrived I take it at this stage at Horgan's Quay. We have Patricia. The boats assembled at Roaches Point but they came from all over the country from uh, Kilmore Quay all the way up to Galway and down Kerry so we have boats from all over the country uh, representing all fishermen. I'm seeing photographs and video footage. It is an incredible sight. It sure is, Patricia. And isn't it amazing that we have to do this to highlight that one in five of these boats will have to be scrapped if we don't get more fish? And that's your that's the message. That's you're trying to get this message out, obviously to the politicians, but you want to get the message out to the to the general population, the people who buy your fish every week. Yeah, you see, this isn't just about fishermen because the Irish fishing industry is worth one billion euros to the Irish economy. If we lose twenty percent of that, that's two hundred million lost to the exchequer, and that's with this poor share of fish we have. So instead of trying to defend what we have, Patricia, the Irish people should be demanding more. We have 15% of the fish in our own water. We should be looking for 50%. That's not a big ask. We don't get the fish anywhere else around Europe. So why shouldn't we have at least half the fish in our own water? And it's there are so many jobs as well. Isn't it fair 16, to say? 16,000 people are directly employed by the fishing industry in this country. So lose 20% of that, you're down 3,000 jobs minimum instead of doubling it and going up to 32,000. Can you imagine if Apple or um, Intel or any of the big pharmaceutical companies or anybody left the country and left 3,000 people unemployed behind them? There'd be an outcry that you would hear in every corner of Ireland. And this is what's happening to, to ours. And this is a renewable in, uh, fishery. Mm. Every year you just go out we have the boat, we have the skills set at the moment. It's just going out and picking up money and bringing it back to our people here 
you have to understand that if we lose a boat, we don't just lose the skipper, the owner, we lose seven people that are on board the boat. And each job at sea creates five to shore. So like each boat is talking forty or fifty people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Madness yeah. to be talking and, about. And 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 what and what we're talking about here, you're kind of being hit on all sides. You've got the uh, the quota cuts uh, to Brexit. You also have the EU policing of the industry that you were uh, outlining to us last week. There's a number of issues coming together that's literally strangling your ability as trawlers to go out and earn a living. You know, I had a, a conversation with one of the previous ministers. Derek Cleary, and at that time I said, Minister, it's like being in a boxing ring, and we hit the canvas twice. Now that was when he was given the job as Minister. We've hit the canvas two or three more times since then, and like they're trying to put us out. And, and that's what's happening here. I'm just looking at, at, at a piece, uh, obviously this morning the Minister for Agriculture uh, is very much aware of what you are doing and was asked uh, about it and um, he said uh, he is investigating every avenue to improve the situation. Do you take comfort from that? I'm the person that asked for that task force to be set up by the Minister through Christopher O'Sullivan in Westcott, which did happen and I'm on that task force. And what the minister said to me, and I don't want to be disrespectful, reminds me of my stories I was told about the Psalms in World War One, where the men inside in the trenches were told the exact same thing. Right, lads, we're going over there, and, you know, there's a challenge ahead of you, and off you go. And we know what happened there. OK, and where where to, or what's the plan for the rest of the day? Uh, I know you are going to walk to the Taoiseach's office to deliver a letter. I, I, have you done that yet? No, we would be doing that around 12. We still haven't started the rally. We didn't expect so many boats to come from all over the country, in fairness to them, and we're delighted they did. So it's taking a bit of time for them to tie up in a safe manner, and um, that's taking a bit longer than we expected. So, like, we're delighted with the turnout. To be honest, this is nearly half the fleet. You know, the, the Beamer fleet that we have, number's 11. We've eaten them here today. Oh, goodness, you know, and, and goodness. I can tell you that the, the, the fear that with these lads, they know what's coming. You can't diversify. Before you could try a new fishery, we could get into rock all, we could go fishing for squid. Can you imagine now, the French and everybody else were given full access to the UK, and the only ones that couldn't get back into the traditional fishing grounds is Ireland. We can't get in around rock all. We're excluded 12 miles from outside of it, and our squid fishery now is going to be denied to us. And that's a huge loss of income for individual vessels. And you see, when they're at that fishery, they're not at the other fishery. So it gives more fish to the others that are left behind, you know? Okay, well, you certainly have a huge show of uh, support uh, today. I, I'm just even seeing uh, the flotilla of boats on um, coming up the, the marina traffic. I've just seen a piece of the boats coming into uh, Cork Harbour. Uh, listen, stay safe, uh, Patrick. And I'm delighted to say the sun has come out. You brought the sun with you anyway. Well, you see, even the gods are shining on us today. They do sympathy for us. All we have to do now is get our listeners and the people to put pressure on our politicians. Absolutely. And, and I just want to finish with this, Patricia, right? Okay. We are not asking for something that's not possible. This has been decided in Europe that the UK as a coastal state outside of Europe, no longer a member, can catch 75% of the fish in their water. We, on the other hand, as a member of the European Union, are told to settle with 15%. Now, that is not right. It's not fair. 
It's just not fair. fair. All right, and I'm going to finish off with uh, Fiona Cork and our senior news reporter who's been down at the port of Cork uh, speaking with some of the fishermen. Patrick, thank you for that. And we'll take a listen to uh, Fiona's piece. Thank you. I am fishing since I was 16, so 17 years. It's always difficult trying to navigate quotas, hours of rest, where we can be, where we can't be. Are we going to have people waiting for us on the pier when we get in to check that everything is our paperwork in order? It's not just a case of go out and catch fish anymore. It's as much paperwork as it is trying to catch. I think to do the job, you have have to love it. It's not just a job you go out and do for a good wage anymore. Red tape, we can do this, we can't do that, we have to have this amount of hours of rest. and you know, A lot of these things are all practical ashore, but when you're out in the middle of bad weather outside, some of these things just aren't practical. You know, I think what all fishermen want is just politicians that will actually go to Europe and argue for us instead of just taking the laws that Europe set out and saying, OK, that's what we'll do. You know, it's a lot of other industries the government will actually go and fight for. and But I think a lot of fishermen feel we don't have that in this industry. Dina Busher. Um, I had a fishing trawler, the MFE Eliov. Um, she sank uh, two months ago, um, only two miles from shore. So it's, it was a huge loss for our family. Um, and the way things are now in the industry, I... I I can't see us being able to buy or build another boat again and it, it's a great passion of mine the fishing industry and I'd love to be able to go back into it um, but it's near impossible at the moment we, we need more quotas and you know we're just we're constantly targeted by the authorities and it needs to stop we want him to revisit the common fisheries policy and to renegotiate our quotas. Um, the trawlers, they're finding it difficult to hold on to crew at the moment, so we were hoping that they could help with that and to look at the atypical working scheme again. And um, the whole industry has to be relooked at. Like, so I have a good education. I, I have a master's degree in translation and I did work experience in Brussels. I know I have that behind me, but no, my heart isn't in that. My heart is in fishing and that's what I want to do. Yeah, it is, it is frustrating, especially when we see how well other trawlers in other countries are doing, you know, that they just they can land whatever they like and we're left to struggle and... Great to hear from a young female fisherwoman there, isn't it? Uh, they really, it really is tough, tough at the moment to be in that uh, industry. So our thanks to Fiona Corcoran, who was down on Horgan's Quay this morning, speaking with some of those fishermen. And before that, I spoke with Patrick Murphy, who is the chairperson of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisations. We're going to take a break and we're heading to the newsroom for News at 11. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know to talk to cmig.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
on fishing that we discussed in the last hour. Texter says it's a crying shame with uh, what is happening to our fishing industry. Maybe the UK were right to go it alone and leave the EU. Yellowfin tuna pass our doorstep and we can't even even catch one. It is simply unbelievable, says a uh, texter and a lot of people having huge sympathy for the fishermen and wishing them luck with their protest uh, today. Okay, some other issues coming into the programme. Katie in Donneret, also looking for advice on trying to trap a cat. Now, I'm assuming this is a feral cat. It's a cat uh, that's pregnant, uh, but the cat has, has, has some kind of an infection in both of its eyes. And she's been noticing that the eyes are very sore. And at the moment, now they're completely shut. Oh, God. And she's pregnant as well. And she's trying to catch the trap the cat and take it to a vet and she's wondering any advice from listeners she's in the Donnerail uh, area yeah, we, it's a, what she's looking for does anybody know of where she can get a cage to trap the cat because it's quite well it's not it's not the easiest thing to do but if she's heavily pregnant and she's feeling unwell she's probably looking for food because I know you've, you, you get one of those cages you put food into it and normally they'll walk right into it particularly if they're in a condition uh, like that but if her eyes are completely closed it's going to be really really hard anyway can anybody offer advice or help to Katie as I say she's in the Donnerail area so if anybody knows or where what direction we can send Kate in to help out that poor cat please let us know and Anousa's town was on wants to know does anybody know or did anybody else spot what she describes as a low flying helicopter she says it was nearly on top of the houses it was last night it was over the Noosa's town abandoned areas did anybody else notice that I mean search and rescue can be quite low at times but I don't know if it would be Flying right over the top of houses. To anybody else, Newcastle abandoned areas. If it was that low, you must have noticed it. If you didn't notice it, do you know what's going on? 1850-333-103. And then a lot of people getting involved in our discussion that we did earlier with uh, Deputy Michael Collins talking about this report that's come out from Cork County Council. Independent report, I have to say. The council just got a group to take a look at the the funding that Cork County Council has received over the last number of years, looking at all of the different projects, you know, nationwide projects, you know, rural development, leader projects, things like that, and roads, how much money is handed out on roads. And it, it was described as a very stark report because it shows time after time that we here in Cork County not getting our fair share of government funding but it's the roads one I think it's the one that is really getting to most people and that uh, statement that came out that if we continue with the current funding that we're getting here in Cork it'll take 52 years to bring our to do the the work that's needed on our roads and by the time that the 52 years comes you have to you need to want to start all over again it's shameful shameful uh, uh, statement to be able to make about our roads Tom in Manway says I agree that other counties because there's a comparison in this report compared to other counties how we have fared out Clare was one area in particular where in one piece of funding we got 20% of what they got in Clare over what we got here in Cork I agree uh, Tom, Tommy in, in Manway says that if you travel to other counties other counties seem to have a much better road network than we have in Cork Tommy in particular uh, is speaking about counties Clare and uh, Galway people can travel to other parts in a reasonable time whereas if you're anywhere on any of the Cork roads particularly in West Cork with very narrow roads they were never built for the current traffic levels. Miriam and Skibbereen making a similar
similar point saying we keep hearing West Cork is the spot now, is the place for people to move to as they escape and want to get out of the cities. But if that does happen, how can our roads deal if we do get a lot of extra traffic? Other counties have motorways. Cork only has one and that's the one that takes you to Dublin. And then we hear towns are only so many miles away from, say, the city or so many miles away from another town. But try driving with a string of cars in front of you. The Bandon to Clonakilty Road is a road that is constantly full of cars. It simply cannot cope with the volume of traffic on that one particular uh, road. And then Michael in Castletown there is reminding me of interviews I used to do many years ago uh, with the late uh, Fine Gael Dáil Deputy PJ Sheehan. Michael says, I remember one day the late PJ Sheen speaking to you on air and said, if the government didn't stop putting money into the eastern half of Ireland, it would eventually topple over. And lo and behold, here we are 30 years later and they're still doing the same thing, says uh, Michael. John, thank you for that, Michael. John and Carrie Alliance says, Patricia, why don't we simply take a stand here in Cork? What's John talking about? If we all stop paying road tax, it'll be very simple. We'd all take a stand together. He also says, look at the amount of English registered cars that are in the country today. No road tax and no VAT paid. You can't beat the paddy to avoid tax and save a few bob. I'm not quite sure when you're talking about English registered cars, are you talking about holidaymakers? I'm not quite sure what you're on about there, but that's from uh, John in Carrigaline, 1850-333-103. And then do you remember earlier I mentioned that Kay, one of our listeners, has contacted us because she was, she's was she been ringing her mum's telephone line and she's noticed that there's an international ringing tone when she rings it sometimes. Then she'll ring again and it'll be a normal number. And the only thing different that happened was that there was a phone and it, an upgrade at the telephone exchange in the village. She's wondering, could that be anything to do with it? But just with all the scams doing the rounds at the moment, it's a bit off-putting to try to ring her mom and an international tone comes up and she was saying, did anybody else notice it? Well, lo and behold, I got a flurry of texts and calls in from people saying, yeah, know exactly what Kay is talking about. Catherine says, I ring my neighbour's landline from a mobile and the first few rings are different, like an international tone. And then it'll sound normal again. Isn't that so, so strange? Jimmy and Clonic Hilty, yeah, agree 100% with uh, Kay. I've noticed that ringtone uh, also. But Jimmy is like Catherine who says it'll ring four or five times like an international tone and then it changes to the normal tone. We've got to investigate that and try to work out what is going on there because I have no idea what that is all about. Let's see if we can find out what it is. 1850 Someone says there was a helicopter in Newmarket on Monday. It was also flying very low. Likewise, we were nearly at eye view with the pilot could wave at him. We were so close uh, to him. They were following the power lines, according to this listener from New, Newmarket, and is wondering, could it be anything to do with the ESB network? Low-flying helicopters following the power lines. OK, and maybe that's what was going on in Newcestown in Bandon uh, yesterday as well. Mary says, hi, Patricia. Could you find out, please, when will the Citizens Information Centres, the one in Mallow in particular, when will they be open again? I, I simply don't know when they're going to reopen again. I know that the Citizens Information Centres, and we've so many of them dotted around Cork, they're currently not open to drop in callers. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't contact your local centre. You can, because they're operating by phone. They're also operating by email for advice and information. Now, they are giving a limited number of face-to-face appointments available in centres when COVID-19 safety requirements can be met. 
but at the, and those appointments are arranged over the phone or an email you've got to make contact with them first and it's it's based on the client's uh, needs uh, but what they suggest if you have a particular query you're looking for information you're trying to find out something you can contact the Census Information Centre they are continuing to operate over the phone uh, between 9am and 8pm Monday to Friday on 0761 and you can request uh, a call back from them if they don't pick up immediately but as of now no I have no date for you unfortunately as to when the Citizens Information Centres will reopen and then someone else says Patricia have you an address for the lady that was on yesterday who is collecting the empty crisp bags and by all accounts Claire got a great reaction this was Claire Newell from uh, McCroom had a lovely chat with Claire yesterday and this wonderful project that she's doing where she's taking crisp packages and she cleans them and then she makes them into sleeping bag covers and survival sheets for people living on the streets and I was on her Facebook page and she's got great photographs where you can see what she's making. It's just incredible and I think it's the whole environmental thing. It stops all these crisp bags blowing in the breeze and ending up in in our road verges are. What else do we have to do with them? You have to put them into landfill. There's an actual use for them. So you can send them to, it's the Crisp Package Project Cork, care of Claire Newell, N-E-W-E-L-L. And her address is Mullenrow McCroom. Mullenrow, M-U-L-L-E-N-R-O-E, Mullenrow McCroom. And you can check her out. She has a really good Facebook page called the Crisp Packet Project Cork. You can check it out on uh, Facebook and you can see and she has, goes, has a little tutorials on it showing you what she asks people to do but we have a number of people deciding to collect, collect up their crisp bags and it won't cost that much to post them because by their very nature they're very light. So collect them up maybe over a month clean them and then pop them in and send them off to her. She'll be, uh, she'll be, Claire will be absolutely thrilled to uh, receive them because she says the more crisp bags she gets the more of these blankets that she can actually make. And someone else was on to say that they saw a camper van parked outside a local national school. It was on the N72. And what they felt was shouldn't have been happening was the people in the camper van, obviously people on holidays, and they had stopped and they decided to get out and they were taking photographs outside the school and the school was open. Now, I don't know if there was children in the playground, which you're not meant to do. You're not meant to photograph children without the express permission of the parents. And I know any of the schools even have to have permission from their, from the parents, you know, if they want to use any pictures they to put up on their social media or anything like that. So I don't think you can just take photographs. But then if it's just children in the background, they were obviously taking a holiday snaps of themselves uh, but this listener is obviously concerned because it was outside a school that was opened. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs Toppers takeaway there on Turner's Cross. They're currently looking to recruit a new staff member to join their growing team. You do need to be flexible and hours will include a weekend's Alan Weald in Newmarket, they're looking for full and part-time welders. While Apprentice wanted for an electronic security system, that's in the Mallow area. And a betting office in Mallow, they're looking for part-time staff 
You need to be computer literate and to have experience in handling and balance, balancing cash. That would be an advantage. Once again, we have a very busy job link. If you would like to see more of the details and more of the job opportunities, you can go to c103.ie forward slash jobs. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. As we approach another busy bank holiday uh, weekend and normally very busy on our roads, the Road Safety Authority is calling on people to look out for all road users, but especially to be mindful of motorcyclists. Already this year, 10 motorcyclists have lost their lives on Irish roads. And my next guest knows what that loss is like, because in 2018, Jules Sweeney lost her husband, Michael, who died when his Yamaha motorbike was involved in a collision with a car. And uh, Jules Sweeney takes time out uh, to talk to us this morning. Good morning to Jules. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me. Well, indeed. Can I start by deepest sympathies and and thank you for being very brave about sharing uh, your story. If I can take you back to, it was the 1st of September uh, 2018. Outline what you now believe happened to your lovely husband, Michael. Uh, thanks, Patricia. Yeah, it was. It was It was uh, the 1st of September 2018. My husband was coming home from England. He'd just been doing a, a course over there. And uh, he was driving home. It was around about quarter past six in the afternoon. Nice, fine, clear evening. And uh, he was overtaking a car. And as he overtook the car and was alongside her, she decided to overtake the car in front of her. And uh, ending up hitting my husband, he he hit her car, or her car hit him, hit a wall. He went down the road and his bike went into a field. Um, and he died on the side of the road. She obviously didn't see him. No, no, she didn't look. She didn't use her mirrors. And uh, that that one moment of carelessness, of not checking, of not checking those mirrors regularly, and you you never, ever change lanes without checking your mirrors. And this was a consequence of that carelessness. So you were at home, obviously, he, Mick had been away working or, or doing a course for a week. So you were at home, w- excited about him coming home. Absolutely. I was cooking dinner because he was due to go away back to work again. He was a marine engineer on a super yacht. So I was very excited. We had, you know, Mick was Mick was great timekeeper. Um, you know, I, I was doing all his favourite food, getting ready for him to come home and nothing. And, you know, I... I, I as time ticked on, I knew something was desperately wrong, you know, so I tried ringing, but there was nothing nothing unusual if Mick was on the bike for me not to be able to contact him because his, bike, his phone would have been on flight mode, Patricia. So, yeah, so he wouldn't be know, distracted when, when he's no, driving. Exactly, you know, and uh, the next thing I said, I knew something was desperately wrong. I turned everything off and waited, and uh, I, the, next, the next thing was a guard coming to my door, you know, and that's, that's you you. you always think you see the side of a guard pulling in your driveway coming to your door it's never good news it's the one thing nobody wants no not at all no not at all and then you had that awful and at that stage mick was dead it wasn't even a case of come to the hospital there might be some hope you were actually told he was gone he was gone he was he was gone you know then having to ring his brothers having to having to ring them and tell them that and 
how do you convey that? You know, it, it just was, it was like the domino effect of so many things caused by one careless manoeuvre. And I know the accident, you live in Limerick and I know the accident yeah. happened on the, the Carrick to Clomel uh, Road. So he, I'm assuming Mick would have been taken to St. Joseph's Hospital in Clomel. Was, it, was that right? No. Where, no? Uh, he, was, he died on the side of the road. He didn't make it to the hospital. But you went to Clonmel. I we ended up going up to Clonmel, and uh, he was in the um, he was just in a room off off one of the hospitals there. And I honestly couldn't tell you, Patricia, what the name of the hospital yeah, was. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, it's St Joseph's Hospital. Well, yeah, he would be yeah. just yeah. Oh my God! Uh, what what a scene! What a scene! Oh, you know, I, I I think the the I think what we need to remember is you know. When when you're driving a car, you're, you're driving a lethal weapon. And I think we, especially now, people are getting back on the road. The weather's getting fine. We're coming into a long weekend. And like you already said, 10 lives have already been lost on our roads, Patricia, the bike riders. And, you know, one scrape on the bumper of your car could leave a motorcyclist severely disabled or killed. And, you know, I'm, me and my family are what's left of that. No, we are that constant reminder and we have that in our head all the time. And would Mick, would he have been a very careful rider? He would have been. He was a very conscientious rider. He was uh, with Blood Bike Midwest, um, you know, and for that you have to do extra special training. And he did did, uh, the Rosper course not long before and, you know, constantly advancing his, his riding skills. And, uh, yeah, passed with a gold distinction. So, yeah, he was he was a very, very cautious rider, very careful rider, very sensible rider. And, you know, I, as we, the country has opened up and people are out and about travelling more, I know it's one of the things, because I've even mentioned it myself, because we haven't been driving so much over the last, you know, year, 15 months, whatever it is, I remember the first time that I had to drive somewhere beyond my 5k. I was almost a bit nervous about it because we're just not used to driving like we used to drive before that we just need to be so aware of all of the other road users and that includes pedestrians, people on push bikes and more importantly somebody on on a motorbike. Absolutely, you know, I think I think the rule, you know, if we, we think bike, we, we check our mirrors regularly, we never change lanes without checking our mirrors. I think that's just so, so important. Cars are fitted with mirrors, let's use them. Check them before you move manoeuvre. And you're right, you're absolutely right. We've got so much more increased traffic on our roads. We need to heighten our awareness of what's going on. Oh, oh. The other thing too, Patricia, is... You know, the weather's getting finer. We're going to have a lot more bikes on the road. This is a time where bike riders can actually use our roads. And, you know, so we really, really need to think bike when we're out there as well. Because, as you said, just even clipping a motorcycle is, can have devastating consequences. Absolutely catastrophic. You know, Mick lost his life. That's never coming back. That will never, ever come back. And so many people have been affected by that. You know, that image of, you know, the guardies, the, the paramedics, the witnesses, that's never going to leave their minds, Patricia. Mm. And what kind of a guy was he, Jules? Ooh. Okay, we're having a bit of an issue with... Um, we'll, get, we'll get her back on because I, I, I do want her to talk a little bit about uh, Mick. It's just... 
the way she painted that scene of at home trying to cook in the dinner waiting for a hobby to come home after you've been away for a week and then for a guard to pull up outside side your door it's just it's it's everyone's nightmare isn't it to get that knock on the door and a member of Vanguard that she Khan is standing there or to look out the window as she did and to see a Garda car uh, pull in it's just it's everybody's worst nightmare because a Garda never doesn't come to your door with any good news unfortunately and I always feel for members of Angarda Siakona as well and over the years through our crime file slot I've spoken with members of Angarda Siakona and they'll all say it's one of the toughest toughest jobs that they have is when they have to call to the family of a loved one to say that there has been some kind of a tragedy and in the main in this country that the tragedy will be to do with a road traffic accident or you know to go to a door to say somebody's beloved son or daughter or in Jules's case to say that her gorgeous husband had uh, passed away it is really tough you're back with us we had a problem there with the I phone I was, just, I was just saying to you Jules what was Mick like? Mick was Mick was good Mick was Mick was the best husband in the world he was thoughtful he was caring you know, he was he was dedicated. He he was passionate about everything that he did. You know, he was he just generally all around. Like I, there is no other word to describe him but good. You know, yeah. he 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 gave back to the country. You know, he he loved he loved Ireland. He spent a lot of way at, at, from home working, but um, he loved his family. You know, he was he was he is so missed. I can honestly say that he is so missed by so many. And where did you first meet? We actually, we met in Australia. Um, this is now my home, as you can tell from my accent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, we've, I've been here now, what, 16 years? So we met in Australia. We were both working on, on cruise ships together over there. I was the chef and Mick was the engineer on board. And it was happily ever after after that. And then you met, and obviously Mick is originally from... Absolutely, yeah, yeah. He's a Limerick man. He's a Limerick yeah. man. And then you made the decision to relocate to Ireland. Was that, was that a big move for you? It was. At, at 40 years of age, I decided, you know, we, we, we got married two days before we left and up six and off we came. And it's been home ever since. And no, and you would, you would never go back, even after went, everything that's happened? No, no. no. I, I actually went back for a visit um, two Christmases ago after this had happened. And, you know, it was just all I wanted to do was come home. And, uh, you know, this is home. This yeah. is my home. Yeah, you know, and Mick, Mick's family are around you as well, and and I imagine they are. very supportive. And Fam- look, the family and friends that I have have been incredible. I would be totally, totally lost without them, Patricia. And what's what's life like? I mean, it'll never it'll never be the same again. But what's life like for you today, Jules? Do you know it's tough. It is, you know, it's each day is a challenge, you know, trying to plan a future that is nothing like what myself and I and Mick and I had had planned, Um, you know, just trying to put pieces back. But I suppose now, you know, going forward now, I've joined with Noel Gibbons with the road safety professional. And, you know, I think now if I can turn or make something good come out of something that went so disastrously wrong, you know, and, and creating more awareness for bikes. Yeah. On the road, uh, yeah. I think that gives me a little bit more purpose. At the well moment. done, well done. It's, it's incredibly brave of you because it isn't the easiest topic to talk about. But if if one person listening today to us chatting, Jules, gets into a car and just is pulling out of a junction and just gives that extra look and spots a motorcyclist Absolutely. and think and thinks of you and think and thinks of Mick, you, you know, that's because it's it, they're, they're split second things. 
They are indeed, Patricia. You know, we just need to we need to check mirrors, look twice at junctions, and never ever change lanes without checking the mirrors. And if we can get that message across today, and one person remembers, it could save life, and it could save so much devastation. I'm sure wherever he is, he's smiling down on you, and he's very proud of you, Jules. Like I can, oh. I can say that. I'm sure he's very proud of you. Thank Listen, you. I, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us uh, today. You look after yourself, okay? I will indeed, and thank you so much. God thank bless, you, Patricia. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye. What a lovely lady that is, uh, Jules uh, Sweeney, on the loss of her gorgeous uh, husband Mick. Just in a split second, I mean that the woman in the other car who was uninjured, by the way, never set out to cause an accident that that day. But obviously, she, her eye, uh, her concentration was somewhere else. She decided to overtake and didn't realise at that moment Mick was trying to overtake her. It really is dreadful. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. A couple of people reacting to my interview with uh, Jules Sweet. Uh, saying Andy says often I often see cars uh, driving around with the mirrors folded in drivers are totally oblivious to this not all bikers are angels either but a car is almost always involved in a fatal motorcycle accident people need to wake up and put their darn phones away says Andy and Mike in Bantry says hi Trish there's a blind spot between the rear mirror and the side mirror always look back to it every single time says Mick and a lot of people saying uh, well done to Jules for sharing the story about the loss of her husband and people wishing her nothing but luck uh, going forward so thank you for that 1850-333-103 Now two Cork dads have joined forces to launch a website as a way for anyone to get involved in combating climate change to chat about Offsetter .io. I'm joined by John Kelleher from the Model Farm Road in the city. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks you, for having me. Well, you're very welcome. Now, it's the brainchild of yourself and your friend Adam Hines. And Adam is originally from Botswana, but I believe is now living in uh, Holland. Now, was it because both of you became dads that you started to really focus and start to worry about climate change? Yeah, well, that definitely put the, the focus on us. Well, I think we've We've always been um, concerned about climate change, like a lot of people. And through a lot of conversations that we were having, um, we we realized that it was it was such a huge problem. We actually felt helpless. We actually didn't know where to start. We didn't know what to do. And the two of us were software developers, and we said, "How could we use our skills to help in this in this fight?" And that's where we decided to create this website, um, Offsetter.io. Essentially, what we wanted to do was make a place where it's easy for anyone to come along and help in the fight against climate change. Because uh, we know it's a difficult problem and we, and we know as an individual you can feel quite helpless in this fight. Yeah, and I think we get overwhelmed when, when people, you hear scientists talking about climate change and you watch some of, say, the David Attenborough programmes and you think, oh, there's nothing I can do as an individual. This is, you know, beyond me. But you're, you, through your website, you're proving there is something we can all do. Yeah, yeah. We've made it extremely easy for you to, to what we've done with you at the moment is to offset your carbon footprint. Now, what that means is your, your carbon footprint is essentially every activity you do, like driving your car, turning on the TV or heating your house, this, this is going to generate um, 
uh, carbon gases, and it's these gases that go into the atmosphere. So what we allow you to do is come to our site, we calculate how much carbon you create, and then we let you sign up and offset that. And by offsetting, we mean we'll take the money that you give us and we'll invest that into projects around the world that take carbon out of the atmosphere. So essentially, any any carbon that you're creating, you get to be part of a community that starts to pull that out of the atmosphere. And can you give an example of some of the projects? Yeah, yeah. So these can be things like planting trees or investing in, in um, renewable sources like wind, farm and energy. Um, right now, we have investments in uh, four different projects. Uh, one is a forest plantation in Nicaragua. Um, another one is clean cook stoves in Rwanda. Um, we have an energy project in Brazil, as well as um, more clean um, cook stoves in Ghana. Well done, well done. It's, it's, it's incredible. And people can donate as little or as much as they can afford, is it? Yeah, we, we've set it up so it's extremely easy and you can, you can donate your money and, um, and, and we'll take that and invest in the projects. One of the main things we want to do as well, though, is we want to build a community. So it's not just about kind of like, okay, I've just offset um, my carbon. We want to build a community where we start to actually reduce our carbon um, emissions. So the website itself also helps you to keep track of how much carbon you're generating on a monthly basis. And what we'll also do is we'll work with you to reduce that. Now, the other thing that, that we're doing is Again, as an individual, you might feel um, it might feel very difficult for you to to make any change. So we want to build up a community, and as that community grows, we'll have a stronger voice, and then we'll have um, we'll have a voice that can um, affect government changes as well and policies. So beyond just offsetting your carbon, we can start to actually um, create changes at a government level and an international level as well. And do you think people would be quite shocked about the amount of carbon we all produce? I do, definitely. That's one of the, the big feedbacks, feedbacks we've gotten is when people actually use the calculator, they're quite surprised with what they, they generate. Um, so that can be a bit of a shock. So if nothing else, this, this website educating people is, is also a fantastic, a fantastic win for us. But the way we look at it is we allow you to offset um, a, a small percentage of your carbon footprint. So the way we look at it is even if you do a small piece, it's better than kind of doing nothing. Mm. So you don't have to offset everything that, that you're producing today, or you can definitely offset a small piece and then work with us and we'll help you reduce that as well. It's the old saying of, you know, light the candle rather than curse the darkness, isn't it? I mean, that's what, that's what it is. It's every small action uh, can help and we as individuals all have a role to play. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's us as individuals and businesses as well. So we can, we can help you as a business to offset your carbon as well. Um, so we're not just focused on individuals. Well done. Well done. It really is terrific. It's called Offsetter.io and you launched last month. What reaction have you been getting so far, John? We've had a fantastic reaction. So we, we only launched a month ago. Already we have people signed up from six different countries around the world. And to date we've offset 20 tonnes of carbon, which is equivalent to taking about four cars off the road. And also is the same as to take that out of um, the atmosphere, you'd have to plant something like 14 football pitches of it. <laughs> so we've, we're delighted with the response we've gotten. We're delighted with the, the community we're starting to build. And it's, um, yeah, it's very, very exciting times.
Well done. Well done. Continue. Good luck with it, uh, John. And thanks for taking time out to join us on the programme this morning. No problem. Thanks very Good much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, John Keller from the Model Farm Road. And the, once again, the website, check it out. It, uh, it's just, I think, so, such a f- fantastic idea because, as I said, we all get overwhelmed when it comes to climate change and all. It's got something that the government has to do. So how can we do anything? And we can all do our little bit. And I love this idea that John has of getting a community together and everybody doing their little bit. So it's offsetter. Dot io. That is the uh, website. Earlier I mentioned a listener had been on to us who noticed yesterday in the Nooselstown Bandon area a very low flying helicopter and was wondering, he was hovering, she felt, over the houses that it wasn't like a rescue helicopter or it wasn't a guard the helicopter. She was wondering what it was and what was it doing there and it had others noticed. Well, lo and behold, we got a flurry of calls in from uh, people to say, yeah, spotted helicopters, not necessarily Nooselstown and the Bandon area, but from all other different areas. For example, Ellen in Inniscara saying low-flying helicopter just flew over my house as you were speaking in Inniscara. It was so low, actually, I was going to crash into my house said our Ellen Mike in Bantry says that helicopter was over Bantry yesterday morning now Mike believes that they are looking at power lines and he is wondering has it got something to do with the ESB networks could they be checking the power lines now I know John Paul is trying to get onto the ESB networks just to see if that's what is going on because others are saying the same thing that they spotted the the helicopters. Here's somebody, Tim in Mallow. Was it Mallow? Tim saw it. Was Tim's one? Oh, actually, he took a photograph of it. He said this was on Monday, the twenty fourth, which was just Monday of this week in Mallow, Patricia. It seen now. He sent me a photograph, very clear photograph with the helicopter. Is it, it was actually lower than what the picture shows. It did seem to be following the ESB lines, says uh, Tim. So we're wondering, are they out checking the ESB lines? during this you know the good weather to see if there's any trees near any of the power lines you know now is the time to do it before we get a lot of storm activity in the in the winter months how often have do we hear on this program when we have storms and power lines will go down and they'll go down because a tree was loose or whatever and uh, a tree had got damaged in a previous storm and then it came down in the next storm and how often do we hear from people who say why in the summer months don't doesn't somebody go out landowners I think mainly people say why don't they go out and walk their land take a look at trees that are anywhere near power lines and get rid of them I know we have one caller who constantly rings up whenever there's a storm and says that there should be some law introduced that there should be no trees near any of the power lines but of course a lot of those trees are there in some cases they're there many many years even before the power lines actually went in so I'm wondering is that what they're actually doing as I say we're trying to put a call through to the ESB networks just for them to give uh, clarity on it but just it, but it seems to be across different parts of Cork County where people are seeing this low flying helicopter as one list said it was so low in their area she could almost see the face of the pilot it was so it was so close 1850 we are looking for your gardening questions please because Peter Dowdell will join us in the next hour on the programme we'll also be hearing from a group of parents who are starting a campaign to try to get school places for their children with uh, special needs and also I'm interested in your thoughts on a piece uh, from it's a county councillor in South Dublin who is making a call 
to for child benefit, your monthly children's allowance, I think as most people uh, call it, to make it means test, tested, to stop giving it to wealthy people. So anybody entitled to children's allowance, it would have to be a means tested payment. So I'm interested in your thoughts on that as well. All of that and more coming up after news at 12 midday. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Thank you. Flurry of questions coming in for Peter Dowd. I can see them here on the screen in front of me by text and WhatsApp. Keep those coming because he'll join us after half past 12 today. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. But I am interested in your thoughts on the comments from a South Dublin County councillor. He's a guy by the name of David McManus and he is speaking out about child benefit payments the good old children's allowance. Do people still call it the children's allowance? They changed the name of it to the child benefit payment. But anyway, it's the monthly payment that all parents in this country get. And it is €140 Euro per month. And I don't know, at one stage it used to be you got a set amount for the first three and then it got higher after that. I don't know if it's the same or not, but anyway, it's €140 Euro, uh, per child if you've got one or two kids, as I say. I don't know if it increases after that. And this Dublin South County Councillor is making the point that that €140 Euro per month is awarded to all parents and that includes high earners. And he reckons now that social welfare should move in And they should only award the monthly payment, the child benefit payment, should only be awarded, he said, to those who most need it. He said, when money is scarce, he said, you give it to those who need it the most. He said, child benefit goes to every child in this country. We're giving child benefit, he said, to families on high wages. We're giving it to families that could be earning €100,000 a year. And this is the, the, the following statement is the piece that's got picked up by so many. He said it's like a subsidy for them to have sex. And a lot of people picked up on that as the main headliner when they were talking about what this uh, councillor had to say. He was speaking on a podcast for a Dublin newspaper called Local Voices and the episode was focusing on the living wage. So obviously if he was focusing on the living wage I'm assuming they were talking about you know how families are struggling at the moment and there are families who are out at work and they're not actually earning a living wage. So obviously the whole issue of child benefit then came into it and that these families would be receiving uh, child benefit and then he obviously chipped in and said yeah but you could have a family down the road earning €100,000 and they're getting the same child benefit payment as someone living across the road from them who is struggling to survive at the moment and could even be living in food poverty. So it's opened up that whole debate on should the monthly child benefit be a means tested payment? Should it only be paid to family, as he says, families that need it the most? So you would have, I don't know what the cutoff would be, but you would have it for families, maybe just families on social welfare, or you would have it on, you would give it, say, to families who are low income earners, families who are maybe already getting the family income supplement and it would be administered by the Department of Social Protection, Social Welfare. So what would happen is your child would be born and then you would apply to Social Welfare 
and they would do a means test, like what they kind of do at the moment for anyone with a medical card. Maybe it could be tied in with that. If families were entitled to a medical card, they would already have been means tested. So therefore, if they met the criteria for a medical card, they then would meet the criteria in order to get a monthly child benefit. So your thoughts welcomed on that. Do you think the children's allowance should be a means tested one? Would you be with this Dublin councillor who says, if nothing else, we need to open up the debate on it? And is he right when he says for more wealthy couples that it is just a subsidy for them to have sex by paying them every month for their children up to the age of 18? Your thoughts welcomed on that straight away. Somebody's in children's allowance should be means uh, tested. Someone else is saying, I've been saying this for years. It is madness that you have high earners being given this payment every month while people on social welfare who desperately need it. If we means tested it, it could mean that people on low incomes could receive more than the €140 Euro a year. Because if you ring fenced, kept the pot of money that's there, but don't allow wealthier families to, to claim it. And there are some wealthy families because you automatically get it. It isn't something you even have to apply for. And we have heard in the past, I don't know how many of them, but there are wealthier families who get back onto the department and say, no, we don't need it. And they don't get it every month. But I imagine that that number of people is quite small. I'm going to see if I can try and get any stats on that and how many people actually say to the government, look, I'm earning over €100,000 a year. My family don't need it. But of course, by returning it, it doesn't mean that it'll then go on and be used for somebody who could do with a little bit of a top up. So that could be one of the pluses to a means tested payment in that low income families then would receive more are, should it be left as is, it's the fairest, it's given out for children, for the benefit of children, that's why it's called a child benefit uh, payment and it's of course a payment that traditionally is paid to the mother's of the children and the idea of it is that they use it for the for the children. Now families will tell you because of the times that we're living in we have families who can't always use it for the benefit of the children. Only the other day when we were talking about the high number, the increase in rent we heard from Threshold who were talking about families who are really struggling at the moment and we heard that some families are actually using their child benefit they, they take that every month and they put that towards the, the cost of their rent. So exactly not what child benefit was was set aside for. But for some families, that literally is what they uh, have to uh, do. So your thoughts welcomed on that. Should we have the child benefit payment? Should it be a monthly one and only give it to less well-off families? Your thoughts welcomed on that. 1850-333-103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Then Mary was on to us saying, just wondering, does anybody know of a charity out there that collects the milk gallon tops and the lids, the plastic lids that would be on your milk bottles and indeed on your on your fizzy drink bottles and on your water bottles. The reason Mary asks is before lockdown, she was collecting them for her late aunt who sadly has passed away. Sorry to hear that, Mary. Uh, but she, what she doesn't know is, is where her aunt, what her aunt did with them. She said she knows that her aunt used to give them to somebody in the daycare centre who collected them. But obviously the daycare centre now is closed. So Mary can't even check in with the daycare centre to say 
who did Auntie pass on all these bottle tops to? And she says she doesn't know what they were used for or who received them. But she's a huge bag of them now and she doesn't just want to put them into landfill. And as far as I know, are they the ones that can't be recycled? Most of the plastic, they're, they're made out of a different plastic than, say, the plastic bottle. Funny feeling a lot of them can't be uh, recycled. Anyway, so does anybody know locally somebody who is collecting the plastic tops that you'd get on a milk carton or even ones that are on ordinary bottles of water or bottles of fizzy drinks. Now I did, while the news was on, did a quick Google search. Google is great. And I did find a group in Dublin who are called Precious Plastic Dublin. And they're asking the people of Dublin, I don't know how long this group are up up and running, but they're asking people not to throw away their plastic bottle and drink carton caps, exactly what Mary is talking about, because they say on their, this is on their webpage, that we have a plan to put them to good use. So this precious plastic Dublin collects them and they give them a new life by shredding, melting and remoulding them into long-lasting products. They make bowls, they make flower pots, they make clipboards, coasters and much, much more. And on their website they show collection points and they've collection points dotted all around Dublin. But they only seem to be based in Dublin. Now I don't know if Mary's aunt was passing them on to somebody who perhaps had a contact in Dublin and was passing them on to somebody in Dublin but I can't find anywhere else there's a number of charities environmental charities collecting them in the UK but that was literally just on a quick Google search and I'll try and do some more research on it later but just on a quick Google search during the news the only one I found here in Ireland so far is this group in Dublin called Precious Plastic Dublin. So, does anybody know locally, ideally, somebody who is collecting the tops of the milk bottles or your plastic bottles? Because it would be great. I'd certainly give them a shout out and uh, have a chat with them. If it's good for the environment, then we're all on top of it. And then a couple of people have been on, if you can let us know on that, a couple of people have been on with reacting to the listener who contacted us about she has it's to me it must be a wild cat it's a pregnant cat who has some kind of an eye infection and she's wondering where she can get a cage or she's looking for advice it was Kate out in Donnerell looking for advice on how she could trap the cat because she wants to bring the cat to the local vet to see if the cat can do it the vet can do anything about the cat's eyes and she said looking at the cat today its poor eyes are closed I'm in dreadful condition for this cat to, uh, to be in Breda in Mallow who is a cat lover said so sad listening to that story about that poor cat with the infected eyes in Donnerill the poor little thing Breather said I borrowed the trapping cage from my vet last year when I needed one now there's a good suggestion and one I should have thought of when I read out the original uh, comment so if the listener gets on because I mean I don't know whether she's already made contact with a vet or not or is planning to go into a vet but if you ring your local vet and see can they explain the story and see if, see if they can loan you out the trapping cage and then you can catch the cat and take the cat in. But then somebody else was on to say there's actually a cure for the cat with the sore eyes. If the, if Kate puts a small amount of a tablet called Sinulox, S-Y-N-U-L-O-X, L-O-X, Sinulox, if she puts a, a small amount of that tablet into the cat's milk for at least three days, that particular tablet can be got from a local vet. There'll be no need to catch the cat and what it'll do is it'll it'll clear up the eye infection that's in the cat's eye. Now that would be because if it is a wild feral cat, that would be one way of sorting it. But if it's a pregnant cat, we'll just go on to have the kittens and then you've got that whole cycle going on. That's why the, the trap 
neuter and release programmes are so good. But there's another suggestion as well. So basically get onto a vet, either look to see, as Breda says, can you get the cage? And failing that, ask him for can he give you some of these Cinelux or her Cinelux tablets and put them into the milk the system says for three days is all you need to do and it should heal up that eye infection 1850 somebody says Patricia the wheelchair association might know about those plastic bottle tops as I know there was collections for tops for wheelchair users uh, many years ago yeah that was the fall remember that was God you brought me back now there was, at one stage, there was collections. Do you remember when we used to get milk bottles and you used to have a foil, silver foil or gold foil on the top of the milk bottles and we used to wash them off and collect them. And they were in some way linked to the Wheelchair Association. But then I remember many years ago, somebody else saying that they had a load of them kept and it was meant to buy a wheelchair for somebody was the story behind it and it turned out to be a scam that it wasn't true at all. But I do clearly remember many years ago back in the 70s let's say maybe it was that we were collecting the foil tops but that was on milk bottles. I mean what we're looking at now are the actual plastic ones and I don't know if the Wheelchair Association if they were involved with we certainly were collecting them for somebody uh, and if that be the case if they're still involved as is anybody from the Wheelchair Association listening that can let us know but ideally some local charity or an environmental charity here in, in, in Cork that's collecting the tops because as I say our listener has a load of them collected and doesn't want to just dump them into the bin. 1850 333 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID-19 pandemic See corkcoco.ie Dara Community Centre they are currently holding a fundraising clothes collection. You can leave donations of unwanted clothes, shoes, handbags and household textiles at the centre. You can do it on Wednesdays, so today between 2 and 3 and they're there again on Saturday mornings between 11am and 12 noon. Please ensure that the items that you're giving for donation are in a strong plastic bag and that the bag is tied up at the uh, top. And St. Gobnet's Nursing Home are holding a bake sale in aid of the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland. That's happening on this Saturday between 2pm and 6pm. Their stall will be located near Teresa Kelleher's house on the Charleville to Ballygran Road. If you'd like to donate or to contribute baking in any way, could you please give Maura a call at 0868-44844. And Feed West Cork, this is the newest food bank to come into being. They're helping people in need in a very discreet and confidential way in the West Cork area. If you need a helping hand, you're asked to get in touch by phone or text 087 287 9118 or you can do it through the Feed West Cork Food Bank Facebook page. They will welcome food donations also if you can help in any way. That number again is 087 287 Cork Today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103.
Some of your thoughts on children's allowance and should it be means uh, tested? Hi, Patricia. Children's allowance, it's a shame that it actually stops at the age of 18, particularly when they're still in full-time education. That's at a time when it's most needed by families. That is my opinion, says this uh, listener. Somebody else says the social welfare payments are means tested. Therefore, so should the children's allowance. That's from Ross. Feels it is a no-brainer. It should be means uh, tested. Teresa says, Patricia, any family with a combined income from €150,000 upwards shouldn't be getting the children's allowance. So that's where Teresa would cut it off at €150,000. We're actually running a Twitter poll, sorry, an Insta, on our Insta stories, a poll on C103 asking that question. We're just running for 15 minutes. Should child benefit be means attested? You can check it out on our Insta stories. As I say, we're running for 15 minutes. Uh, Sean says, I think the less well-off should be treated differently. The wealthy shouldn't be receiving child benefit and they could instead take it from them and give it to those that are less well off and let the money go somewhere else instead. Okay, there's some of your thoughts on that. Child benefit and should it be means tested. Now stay on the topic of parents for a moment because yesterday a group of parents gathered in the city. It's a campaign for school places for their children with special needs. Our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran went and met with some of the parents Yesterday. He keeps talking about I'll, I'll be going to a new school in September, but where 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 is he going? We don't know where he's going to. We're just like devastated, all of us at home. He has three big sisters, and you know they they went to a, from one school and they yeah, went they, to a like they just progressed from one, from primary school to secondary school. They excelled in education, and the kids that need the most help, like Andy, are being left on the the margins. He'll regress. He'll regress. He, he won't. He'll, he'll miss the opportunity to excel to the best of his ability because he needs structure. He needs. He needs support. He needs to be in routine, and he needs. He needs the social interaction of other children in a school environment. Of we are. I'm devastated because I can see Angie's potential, and I can see it. How how detrimental it would be for him if he doesn't get the access to education that he needs. It's really, really frustrating and makes us very angry because it's unfair. Our children are left to the wayside, as in there's nothing for them. So they're, 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 they're graduating from school on, on the 30th of June, but they're graduating to nowhere. They have nowhere to go. So now that's why we, we went the route of a Section 29. This hopefully will get us a place somewhere in the city where our kids can be educated. We don't mind, we'll travel to the county if we have to, but once our child gets our education, that's all we want. Well, we're being offered 20 hours homeschooling. 20 hours homeschooling with no social skills for our child. Like, so, this is going to drive her backwards. She'll end up, you know, she, she, she'll have no one to mix with. So you, you can imagine, uh, this is really, really, really frustrating for us. And we're really angry over it. You know, We've, we'll do whatever we have because we're the advocates for our children and we, we'll, we, if I have, we have to go further about it then we'll have to but hopefully this should get a result for us Kayla is very routine based so when she's going to school she has her day to day routine and her structure it really keeps her in good form and when she knows what she's going to do every day in school they have social stories and um, so she knows what's coming up. 
if she's at home, I'm not going to be able to provide that structure for her. I'm not going to be able to say, sit down at the kitchen table there and do your homework. Do you know, it just, it just won't work at home for us. Something needs to be sorted. They made this big announcement of a school that was going to be set up and everything, yet not one of us parents has heard nothing back yet. Now, that was a couple of months ago, about two months approximately, and not one of us has been contacted yet, whether it be a phone call, an email or anything. Stress and worry I've had the last few months. I haven't slept. I've been constantly worried. I've cried myself to sleep. All this for a school place and for my child. It's just not fair. And they know what's going on, so they just need to tell us what's going on. A simple phone call, a simple letter, a simple email, just to say your child will attend X school and she will start there in September. That's all we want. Just confirmation of where our kids are going and if they have a place. Oh, God, it's actually heartbreaking, isn't it, to hear those uh, parents. If they haven't enough struggles without the worry of not having a school place for their children, we wish them good luck uh, with their campaign. OK, some more of your uh, texts coming in on the helicopter. I saw that helicopter last Thursday. I don't know where this text is coming from. It looked like it was having difficulty flying because if you remember last Thursday, it was a very windy day. I really thought it was going to come down. It was actually quite scary to watch that low flying uh, helicopter. On cats and feral cats, Community Cat Network. They're the organisation that catch and neuter cats. I couldn't remember their name. Thank you for that. On the bottle tops, a listener said she, uh, Mike, sorry, he, Mike says he remembers Members, uh, his nephew was collecting them for his local school. So maybe check in with local schools to see if they are collecting them because some local schools certainly had campaigns to collect the plastic bottles so as not to waste them. Particularly Mary has collected. She has a huge big bag of them. She doesn't want to just throw them in the bin. Catherine on Children's Allowance. Totally agree with the person that said the child benefit uh, shouldn't finish until leaving cert. Most children now are in school until they're 19 and it's a very expensive year. And once upon a time if my memory serves me right that's the way it used to be you used to get a note in the school do you remember you'd get a form signed to say your children were still in school they'd get it signed when they were 16 and they would pay it right up until the leaving cert I think the last payment was May because there used to be people given out or maybe it was June did they pay it into June the actual month of the exams I thought people were, were giving out because they were still doing the exams at the time but they changed that and the cut off now is 18 and Catherine is right because of transition year we have young people in school now longer there was a time before transition year when you could have young people leaving school they might have been only 17 and they were leaving school but you do have young people now certainly the majority of leaving their class will celebrate their 18th birthday if they've done a transition year they'll celebrate their 18th birthday at some stage during the leaving cert year when they're still in class and Catherine is right some of them might, might even be 19 by the time they leave school and Catherine's point is it is a very very expensive year so that's something that they should be looking at and then hi Patricia on something completely different I was just in my local bank and there was no one behind the main desk and uh, there was one on another desk who was helping with inquiries and was overseeing the bank machines if somebody had a problem doing their business they'd pop over and help but a couple approached them and asked the bank official about opening a bank account the person said oh that's by appointment only now and the bank official says you'll be waiting about two weeks 
Uh, is this what our banks have come to when trying to do business and to think it was us, the taxpayers, who bailed out those very same banks? You, know, that, you were lucky that there was even somebody inside in the bank. The amount of people that tell us they go into a bank and there's nobody in there at all. 1850 We're going to take a break. Looking for your gardening questions, please, because Peter Dowdle uh, joins us next. You can call John Paul with a question or you can text our WhatsApp 0862 How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Gardening on C103 with Bandon Co-op Garden Centres in Bandon, Kinsale and Enniskeen. For top quality plants, advice and value, think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres. C103. And Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com joining me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and we're so sick of the rain, but the forecast is really good for the weekend and into next week. And hopefully for the next six months. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we want. Okay, straight in with questions for you. And I know you're going to love this one. This is from Mary. It says, Hi, Patricia and Peter. I have a holly bush, Gold King. It was losing its leaves and was gone woody and dead on the lower level. I contacted you a number of weeks ago and Peter advised to spray with copper sulphate. I did this. Also put down seaweed around the base. Great results. I'm now starting to see new shoots coming up on the dead wood. I'm wondering, should I spray it again with copper sulphate? Thanks to Peter for all the great advice. I, I, 
I get nervous when you say you love this before a question. I say, <laughs> will I really? Uh, but no, that's good to hear. Good to hear that it was successful. But no, I wouldn't use the copper sulfate again. So copper sulfate, I recommend it a lot on this program, Trish. And it's a good, it's my kind of go-to weapon in the, in the antifungal uh, armory, if you like. It's a good broad-spectrum organic fungicide. But when I say it's organic, it is certified for use organically, but under caution, if you like, or under advisement. Basically, what that means is that you don't use it willy-nilly. You don't go out there every few weeks with it. You use it once or maximum of twice in a year. Uh, I would always kind of just use it once in a year. So it's all about getting it at the right time. And if it was a, a few weeks ago, kind of March, April was the perfect time to apply it when leaves are coming back and the growth is starting again. So you've had good results with it. Uh, no need to use it again. Uh, maybe maybe give it a, another dressing with some either seaweed or a seaweed feed. But uh, no, no need for the copper sulfate again. But well done, Mary. Well done. And another Mary has emailed uh, looking for advice, please, about rhubarb. I planted three crowns, which were doing very well, putting out leaves and new shoots. They, they'd been, they've been manured and fed seaweed and watered occasionally when there was no rain. We covered them overnight in case there was a risk of frost. Over the last two weeks, they failed, drooped. Edges of the leaves yellowing and by the looks of it, the new leaves are dying back. Where did I go wrong? Should I leave them in place or dig them up and start again next year? Thanking you from Mary. I've been trying to do nothing, Mary. I've been trying to just leave them uh, and see what happens. Those leaves could die off and wait for new stuff to come. You've, you know, from from the way she's described it, she's done everything by the book perfectly. You know, uh, seaweed feed, um, water them when necessary, cover them from the frost. Uh, I, I wouldn't be too worried about it at all, being honest. I think it, it's probably just establishing and settling in. The, the, the only thing that maybe did happen is that you actually killed them with kindness, but hopefully not killed them with kindness, but maybe set them back with kindness by giving them too much seaweed and too much plant food and manure. Um, so I would concentrate now very much on, I know nature has done it all week, but from now on I would concentrate very much on watering uh, and less feeding. And keep us posted. I think that, I think you'll probably see new leaves come on that later on. Okay, hang in there Mary is the, the advice. Maureen and Bantier has what she calls a thing growing around her garden. She reckons it's called St. Joseph's Lily. It's got an orange flower um, they, she said you often spot it out on the road sides. Can we cut it down? There's a lot of it. It seems to be taking over our garden. It's growing over and around shrubs. Any idea what that could be? St. Joseph's Day. I don't know what that is. With an orange fa- flower. Is it Mount, is it Mount Brescia? That's what I'm wondering. Is it Mount Brescia, which, which obviously is orange flower and it, do, it sounds like it, it does take over everywhere. Uh, but it wouldn't be in flower at the moment, obviously. <coughs> um, if it's, look, regardless of what it is, if it's invasive of it, it's spreading too much and taking over, yes, you can. And, and the thing is, by cutting it back, and particularly if it's Mount Brescia, cutting it back, of course, will do nothing. Uh, and I would say, whichever one it is, it's obviously quite invasive. And I suspect cutting it back over the ground will only be kind of like pruning it. You really want to, uh, and let's presume it is Montreal here for a minute, you really do need to get in there with the spade or the shovel and dig it down and get those corms and the tubers out. Uh, because cutting it back over ground isn't going to do anything. You just, as I say, give me a haircut, it'll come on stronger and better uh, after you do that. You really need to go at it with a, a shovel or a trowel or a spade and, and get the root system out as well. If you're wondering if it's the right time of the year, uh, if you only want to get it out and get rid of it, it doesn't matter. You do it now. Uh, if you wanted to, and I, this, I know this isn't the case, but if it was some, a case of you wanted to get it out and repot it or move it, 
then I would say, no, you would do that during the winter. But uh, if it's the case if you just want to get it out and dump it, uh, then do it now, yeah. Okay, question for Peter, please. I have containers of pansies which have flowered all spring and are actually still in flower. Uh, I'm wondering, after flowering, do I cut them back? Would they flower again? Advice, please. Well, it's kind of, when you say after flowering with pansies, there, there really is no after flowering season with pansies. So most pansies nowadays, the bedding ones that you would buy, they're called universal hybrids. Uh, so what that means is they flower pretty much 12 months of the year. So you used to have summer flowering pansies and winter flowering pansies. But nowadays, they're all universal, really. It just depends on when they're grown as to when they're available in the garden centres, you know what I mean? Mm. So you have a summer crop and a, and a winter crop, but they're really they're all the same plant. So uh, when the flowers, they don't finish flowering, I'm saying all that, they don't tend not to finish flowering, but as flowers go off, just pinch them off or remove the dead flower with a scissors, and that will, you will have more flowers in, in answer to the question. But by removing the dead flowers, by deadheading, if you like, you will get more flowers. Uh, and particularly if you feed them with tomato food, the good, the nature-safe tomato food, uh, that will promote more flowers. But there, there tends never to be a period anymore of not flowering. So, so just keep deadheading and keep feeding and they'll keep flowering. Yeah, I've got pansies in a pot and they seem to be flowering all, all year round. And for such a delicate little flower, they're really hardy. Oh, they're tough as old. Yeah. The, the only thing really that can get them is uh, there's a, a little black spot that can come on the leaf. So they, the leaf starts going yellow and black spotted, uh, which is a fungal infection, which unfortunately there's nothing nothing you can do about it. If they ever get that, they're finished. Just take them but, out. And they, they tend to have that before you ever get them. So they tend to have it in the garden centre or in the nursery. So if you have it, get rid of it. But if they don't have it, yeah, yeah. they really are yeah. resilient plants. Hi, question for Peter, please. Uh, could you, when do you spray potatoes? Do I wait until there's a blight warning? Says the listener. Yes, you would spray them with copper sulfate as a preventative, also called bluestone. Um, yeah, it's certainly far too early now to even be worried about blight or worried about spraying them. So absolutely, you wouldn't. If it's a, if you're growing a first early or even a second early, like British Queen or Home Guard or any of those, uh, you won't have to worry about spraying them at all. It's only for the main crops. Uh, and where are we? We're only in the middle of May. I wouldn't even be worried about that second half of June onwards. When you get a blight warning, or if you see any sign of, of blight uh, on your potato, obviously, or even if you have tomatoes growing or anything like that, if you have any sign of blight, then in the first instance, remove it with a, with a, a secretary or scissors, and then apply your copper sulfate and water. But it's all about getting the timing right. Now is far too early, I would say. Question for Peter, please. I have a long, narrow bed with different bedding plants, but something seems to be eating my plants. Could you recommend something? I have a few hydrangea plants in that particular area of the garden as well. Something's I, eating bedding plants. Uh, I, 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 I kind of can't really recommend something without seeing what the damage is or what might be causing it. So um, it's most likely, being honest with you, it's most likely slugs and snails. So when it comes to slugs and snails, you can use, there are lots of barrier products out there. One called Slug Gone, which is like a wool pellet, which creates an impenetrable layer, or sorry, not an impenetrable layer, but it creates a layer that the slug can't get across, the surface the slug or snail can't walk on. They're Slug Gone uh, pellets. You, you wet them and the, 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 the slug can't get across them. You also have, for plants that are growing in pots, you have copper tape that the slug can't get across it. But in this situation where it's a bed with, with different mixed bedding plants, I would look at either using a slug trap, which is like a, a slug trap which is set in the soil. You fill it with beer uh, and the slugs are attracted to the alcohol and they, 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 they die, but they're unavailable to the birds and hedgehogs. And why that's important, Trish, is because 
unfortunately still most drug pellets sold in Ireland contain this very nasty active ingredient called metaldehyde. Now metaldehyde as an ingredient is no longer it's banned for sale in many European countries including England uh, but unfortunately here in Ireland it's still very readily available over the counter to anybody and it's not only toxic to slugs and snails but you see it's also toxic to their predators they're, they're the hedgehogs and the birds and but also our domestic pets and their, their metaldehyde is toxic to us humans but freely available to scatter all around the garden so that's why I'm, I would urge anybody, if you are using slug pellets, take that one second to look for the active ingredient on it. If it says metaldehyde, leave it Don't, don't go near it. But you can get the slug pellets now. They're widely available, containing ferric phosphate. So these, it's just iron phosphate, effective against slugs and snails, but safe for surrounding wildlife. So either use your slug traps, use your barrier products, such as slug gone around your plants, uh, or else use the ferric phosphate pellets. But as I say, that's just me guessing that it's those causing the damage. I can't say for certain, obviously, without seeing it. And I take it this kind of wet weather, does that suit the slugs? Oh, suits them yeah. to the ground. Yeah. I saw one the other day. Oh, my God, it was huge. It must have been a good old, it was in my own garden, it must have been a good old munch or something, but I haven't seen what yet. Mm. But yeah, there's loads of them. Uh, Hi, should I trim window box petunias on the side closest to the window glass? If so, by how much, says the listener. Do you know what, there's no right and wrong in that. I would say yes, because, uh, but there's no how much to it. It's just you're cutting them away to stop them going onto the window. Do you know what I mean? So it's not, it's It's a preference. Cultural pruning, if you like. It's just a, a pruning to keep it, keep them away keep from the window. The window. As, much, as much as you need to in answer is the answer really. Peter, uh, advice please. I have some lovely purple. Is it Ambrisia? Ambrisia? Aubrisia maybe. Aubrisia maybe, that's what it is. But it never flowered yet. It flowers early every year but no flowers this year. It's green and healthy looking. What would Peter think? I'd say that's Aubrisia. Is that purple? It is purple. That's what it, it is. It should be in flower by now. You know yeah. the one Trish it's, it's it's on. You see it growing out of stone walls around the oh, place. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's a cottage it. garden uh, sort of a flower. Yeah, yeah. It's a lovely, lovely little alpine plant. Um, it should be a flower yet. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit at a loss as to why it hasn't. If it's not a new plant, like the, the colour says, they know it normally flowers early, but not a sign of it yet. Things are a bit later this year, definitely because of the low temperatures right into May and the, the awful amount of rain. So. Yeah, I'm going to hazard a guess that it is the low temperatures that is delaying it. But you know what? A shot of tomato food again will do it no harm. It might promote some flowers. Um, but no, beyond that, if it's healthy and green, it and if flower, it is Aurisha, yes. it, I'd say it should still come. Yeah, OK. Hi, question for Peter, please. Part of my rhododendron and some of my hydrangeas got burnt in the frost. They don't seem to be growing back. Should I cut them back? That's from Mary and Kiss Game. Well, they will grow back to berries, the first thing I'd say, but the, it would do no harm to cut them back, absolutely. The rhododendrons, the only thing is with the rhododendrons, if the flower buds are on them, and if the flower buds haven't been damaged by the frost, then cutting them back now, you'll lose that. Um, don't worry that it hasn't kind of recovered yet from it, if you like, because it's, it, nothing happens overnight in the garden, except, of course, the frost damage. But the, the repair doesn't happen overnight. It'll take a few weeks and even months, but they should get over it. Uh, so if the, if the rhododendron has flowered and it's finished, feel free to cut it back. It's a good time to do it anyway. Uh, if they haven't flowered and if the flowers look healthy, I would wait till it does flower and, and cut it back then. And with the hydrangeas, yeah, you could certainly do it. It's only superficial damage on probably the, the, the terminal 
buds. So yeah, certainly give it a light trim and that will come on in no time at all. And you've literally just answered Marie's question who literally texted in saying, can I cut back my uh, rhododendrons now? They're going off flower and they're getting too big. And now is the right time? Absolutely. As soon as the flower is finished, cut them back. Uh, the reason for that is because growth they will produce now after you cut them back is what will produce flower buds for next year. So you don't want to, to cut it back too late because you lose okay. next year's flowers. Anyway. Get cutting back now. Margaret and Douglas, uh, we planted a miniature apple tree about two months ago and it's flying up. Our question now is, do we need to trim it or we, do we just leave it? I've also heard that birds eat the apples. Is that true? If so, what can I do to prevent this? Okay, I wouldn't trim it. No, I'd leave it do its own thing for the first couple of years. Uh, and when you are trimming it, maybe next year even, uh, during the winter, um, what you want to do is create a good open centre when you're trimming. So just bear that in mind. That's what you're, you're striving for all the time is a good open centre with no crossing branches allowing good air circulation through the crown. But I wouldn't do anything now. Um, and yes, of course, it is true. I'm afraid that birds will eat the apples. Uh, I, that, that's what they do. They go for the berries in the trees, no matter how big the berry. Um, how it's, what you can do to prevent it really is just, it's, it's difficult. And the only way to, to do it effectively is to, create a cage around it to kind of suspend netting all around it. Um, I wouldn't be too worried about it. It tends not to be a huge problem, particularly in a small garden. Uh, but it depends if you have a large garden and if birds, you know, can get at it and you really want to protect it, then I would put a, a fruit net around it, a fruit cage around it. It's part of nature as well, though, isn't it? Allow them to have a, some of the apples. Absolutely. They won't, they won't eat oh, yeah. every apple off the tree on you. They won't. Okay. And even if they just have a hole in it, the apple will still be fine. Just okay. fill out that hole. Question for Peter. I have a Japanese acer tree. All the leaves have gone off. It's just a few left. What can I do? It's two years old and they're a beautiful tree. They are gorgeous. Difficult to answer that one now, definitely without seeing it because it could be just, particularly if it's in a pot and it just dropped its leaves, it could be a question of it dried out. It could be something caused by, like I was in a garden this morning where uh, a mature Japanese maple all of one side has gone brown, but it's, it's, it's wind damage and it's caused by just because we had a north, a, a, a wind from the north, a particularly cold northerly wind that just damaged this side of the Acer, which it normally wouldn't because we normally, we normally don't get northerly winds, obviously. Um, so a lot of the leaves have fallen off that and I will continue to fall off it until the, the, the plant gets over it. Uh, so it could be caused by wind, it could be caused by a frost, it could be caused by drying out anything when, it, when it's only two years old. It could be any of those environmental factors, Trish, but equally you see it could be a fungal infection. So without seeing that one, it is difficult to, to say. Uh, if it's in a pot, make sure it doesn't dry out during the summer. Uh, and if, it, if, it, if obviously it's probably not dry right now. So if it's in a pot uh, and it, if you keep it well watered, then I would be confident that it will come back into it. OK, and 30 seconds for this one. A rose bush died on me, so I planted a new one. That died too. What am I doing wrong? You can't plant a new rose in where an old rose was. And in that 30 seconds, if I may, Trish, just very quickly, uh, a big shout out to Bernie. I'm sure her surname is Downey from the HSE who gave me my, my second vaccine. Hey, hey. Sunday. Thank you very much, <laughs> Bernie. And and uh, I know she listens to your show, so probably too busy to listen to it okay. now. But a, a big thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Well done. Them, well done. Two weeks and you're fully vaccinated then, isn't it? I think Pretend. it's one week. I've had my second visor shot. I think it's this weekend. Now. One week. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Listen, mind yourself. We'll talk next Wednesday. Thanks Thank for you. that. Bye bye. That is uh, Peter Dowdell, the IrishGardener.com. That's where we leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Witcher for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Bye bye. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.